Well, I want to start out this morning by naming something very real. In the past few weeks, after talking with dozens, if not hundreds of people across all sectors, healthcare workers, teachers, clergy friends, students, elected officials, one thing is clear. At least half the people that I speak to are anxious and worried and fearful. So if you're someone, if you or someone you know, woke up this morning feeling that way, fearful, anxious, worried, unmotivated maybe, doubtful, mad at yourself even for being, not being more chill or for not trusting God as much as you would want to or at all, if you're exasperated at the people who are not taking all of this seriously enough or maybe you're exasperated at the people who are taking it too seriously, well, this morning is for you. Today's your day because today is the day for all worriers and doubters. We just heard the scripture reading this morning from the Gospel of John in which the disciples are hunkered down after Good Friday, wondering what in the world just happened, when to their surprise, Jesus appears right in front of them. But one of the disciples, Thomas, misses the entire reunion. Poor Thomas, as a disciple of Jesus, he loved Jesus. When he hears from all of his friends later that everything's going to be okay because Jesus has done the unimaginable and risen from the dead, all Thomas wants is to see for himself that Jesus is not dead and in the grave, to experience the real and risen presence of Jesus. But instead, now he is for all eternity cast as the doubter in the bunch. I think that Thomas did that for our sakes, actually. Thomas took one for the team. You see, Thomas is a huge part of the Easter story because he gives us all permission to say, yeah, I'm not feeling that whole trust thing right now. Thank you very much. I'm scared. Don't tell me everything is going to be okay. I need to experience that for myself. And that Easter morning, all of the disciples were scared. Not one part of our Gospels tells us that, that the disciples had their emotions all in check. It was every man and every woman for themselves. Peter had just choked under pressure and denied that he even knew Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who saw the empty tomb first, assumed that someone had taken the body of Jesus and, and done God knows what with it. She was devastated at the thought. And then when she tells the other disciples, they run to the tomb, and what do they do? They take one look inside and run back to the upper room and bolt the door closed out of fear. I mean, who among us, though, hasn't done that? Life throws us a curveball or a coronavirus, and we shut down. Our minds race with all the terrible possibilities that exist, all the ways that this could go from bad to worse. Psychologists have a word for this, actually. They say we catastrophize things. We feel scared, alone, trivialized, out of control. And when we're in that place, nothing that anyone says is going to change the way we feel. 
I know the Bible says hundreds of times, fear not. But when I'm scared, someone just telling me, fear not, is probably not likely to help. You know, when my kids were little, my two sons shared a bedroom, and I remember one night they were about five and three, and Nick, the older one, came padding down to my bedroom at about three o'clock in the morning and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Mom, Ben's having a nightmare and he won't stop crying. I tried to calm him down, but he, he keeps crying for you. So I got up and I trotted up the stairs to their bedroom and I tucked Nick back into his bed and I went over and I comforted Ben and I snuggled with him until he fell back asleep. And then the next morning I said to Nick, you know, I'm really proud of you. Thank you for coming to wake me up. That was really a kind thing for you to do as a big brother. And he said, well, Mom, I kept telling Ben, the Bible says, fear not, for I am with you. But he just wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> and as adorable as that story is, so adorable that I know I've told it to you before. I'm sure it sounds familiar. But two things are true in that story. The first is that Nick was 100% right. And I hope it's what we can all do in times of distress, that we can call on scripture. He called on scripture that he'd learned in Sunday school. Call on God in whatever way feels natural and comfortable for us. I hope we can all do that. But the second thing is equally true. And that is that Ben's reaction was what we all feel sometimes. It didn't matter what Nick said. He was still scared. He was still huddled in a corner of his bed crying. Because sometimes you just need your mommy. The disciples were excitedly telling Thomas what had transpired, that the most unbelievable thing had happened. And so Thomas didn't need to be worried. He didn't need to be frightened. And he's not having any of it until once again, Jesus appears, even though the doors are locked up tight. And a very significant thing happens next. Notice here in the Gospel of John, by the way, that Jesus doesn't knock. He doesn't say, hey guys, it's me, Jesus, can I come in? Jesus simply enters the room, even though the door has been bolted shut, from the inside. Even though they had not called on him, even though they had no reason to think that he might show up, Jesus was there right with them in the midst of the fear and the anxiety, bidden or unbidden. Often in times of crisis, we hear people say things like, well, where was God when all of these bad things were happening? Or you might hear somebody telling a great story, something in their life that's happened to them, and they get to the climax of the story, and they'll say, and then God showed up. And it seems like that's an awesome thing. Like, that's the point of the story where we should all cheer and say, yes. But to me, the point is, that is the point in their story when they realized that God was there. Because, see, if we believe that God just happened to show up like some sort of superhero, 
then it begs the question, well, where was God before? See, our scriptures consistently tell us that God is everywhere. Throughout the Old and New Testament, we hear that God is being described as being everywhere in all places and all events. Listen to the words of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God's people have continually spoken about God as being everywhere. So if God is always present, then the question isn't, what do I have to do to get God's attention? But the real question is, what does God have to do to get ours? A moment ago, we prayed together saying, we come in God's presence. We prayed, let us know your presence so we may worship. See, we acknowledge that God is already here. We just need a little help when it comes to actually noticing. Our task, our invitation, is to become more and more attuned to God's presence in each and every moment, to see God in the people and the places and the happenings all around us, in the earth-shattering moments and the everyday ones. When we recognize that God is present with us in it, in it all, when God is present with us in it all, something incredible happens. Jesus walked into a room that was bolted shut from the inside. And when that happened, when Jesus walked into the room, right into the middle of the disciples' fears and doubts and disbelief, what happened next? Here's a hint. Peace be with you. Jesus says it three times in this scripture passage this morning. Over and over in scripture, we hear the same words. We're reminded of the powerful message of God's presence and God's peace. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Jesus said, you may have trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. He said, peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. When we recognize that God is everywhere and in everything, something incredible happens. And that is that we can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. One thing we can be sure of, God is present and peace is possible. Now, I know that sounds like two, but they are combined. They are inextricably linked. They're inseparable because when God is present, then peace is possible. And God is always present. God is present, peace is possible. The end. Maybe the message for today is actually an invitation to hone our awareness of God's presence so that peace is accessible to us even in the darkest of times. Thomas touched the wounds in Jesus' hands and feet and sides. It was an act of curiosity and inquiry. It was an act of reverence and awe. It was certainly an act of love. 
and it changed everything about how he viewed the world. Being in the presence of the resurrected Jesus increased Thomas's ability to move forward in uncertain times, trusting that something unbelievably good and powerful was at work in the world. So how do we touch and feel and experience the resurrected Jesus? Maybe with a deep breath of gratitude for this moment. Maybe with a walk in nature, acknowledging all the ways that God is present around us. Maybe just by sitting on the front porch and taking in the amazing views. Maybe it's by turning off the news, turning off the distractions and experiencing nothing but stillness. Maybe by studying the birds or your dog or your navel and just contemplating the mystery of it all. Maybe by studying scripture, by praying, by volunteering for those in need. There are so many ways to cultivate an awareness of the presence of God in your midst, the presence of peace in your midst. When we increase that awareness, it not only changes the way we see the world, but it increases our ability to trust. But if you're sitting at home today and you're anxious or worried or fearful, if you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, or you're just simply over it by now, and God's peace is feeling elusive, trust me, you are not alone. And I wonder if it would help you to know that in those moments in your life, there are people who are doing the trusting for you. There are people who are trusting when you can't. They're praying for you, holding space for you to feel whatever it is you're feeling, to experience whatever it is you might be experiencing. Maybe it's a spouse or a friend or a parent who can comfort you in the night. Maybe it's someone you don't even know. We have hundreds of people that we pray for here at the chapel that we've never even met before. Maybe that's all the trust that you can muster for today is allowing someone else to trust on your behalf. Does doubt creep in? Absolutely. And it brings with it its companions, partners in crime, worry and fear. But here's the thing about faith. Faith doesn't promise an absence of fear. Nor does it promise that bad things won't happen. After all, we follow a man who was falsely accused, tried in a bogus court of law, tortured and put to death at age 33. That's hardly a Christian religion that promises nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. But what faith does promise is that the bad things don't get the last word. The resurrection is always possible. Good will overcome evil. Love always wins. And hope shines like a light in the darkness. Faith promises that the worst thing is never the last thing, as Frederick Buechner said. The story of doubting Thomas has never been about condemnation for your lack of faith. It's about validation. 
It's a reminder that the one responsible for all there is in the universe understands that our human minds can't possibly comprehend the level of goodness and divine order. That sometimes we're going to question things. That most of the time we're going to want to be in control. But that all of the time we want to experience hope. The story of Thomas isn't about doubt. It's about presence. When you know God is present, peace is possible. It changes the way you look at hardship and challenges and bad things. When you know God is present, peace is possible, you begin to trust that everything else Jesus taught about how to show up in the world is possible too. When God is present, peace is possible, you no longer allow your circumstances or your tragedies or your past hurts or your current fears to define you. When God is present, peace is possible. You allow your mind and your heart to be defined by the love of the one who entered into a locked room and revealed himself in the most uncertain, unsettling times and said, peace be with you. Amen.